So today I'm going to be teaching about a particular sin, and some of you may have seen that. It's the sin of sloth or slothfulness, um, which may seem like an odd topic, but uh, I think you'll understand why I wanted to teach on it when we get to the end of the lesson. Um, I think a lot of people think that if you go to church, what you do every week, if they're not people who go to church, is that the pastor preaches about sin every week. And I can't remember many sermons anymore where we preach about sin. We touch on sin, we talk about sin, but that's not our focus usually. And I think there's a reason for that, because one of the dangers about preaching about sin is that if we're preaching out of the Word of God, um, conviction will come, and then we decide we're not doing that sin anymore, and we go home, and in the power of our own strength, we try and fight that sin. And that either leads to discouragement because we fail or it leads to pride because we succeed. And the pride is worse than the sin that we had. So when you preach about a sin, we need to bring it back to the cross. We need to bring it back to Jesus Christ because ultimately he's the only solution to the problems that we have when it comes to sinfulness. The sin that I'm going to be teaching about is sloth which would be another word for laziness. Proverbs deals with sloth, sluggard. Um, Laziness is actually a little different than slothfulness, but it's very, very close. Um, When I was in college, I went on a missions trip to South America, and it was in Colombia. There was an enterprising Colombian who had either captured or bought a sloth. And you could pay a dollar and get a picture taken with that sloth. Um, But the best part about paying the dollar is you got to touch the sloth. Um, When you touch a sloth, he doesn't like it. But his reaction time is so slow that it makes you laugh. And I still remember it. You would touch him on the shoulder, and you could see it begin to process. Somebody just touched me. I don't like that, I need to do something. And sometimes it would be a half a second, you would touch him like this, and he would go, even if he had responded immediately, there's no way he could have caught you. It's like, why are you doing that? Uh, Those of you who've seen the new movie, Zootopia, um, I don't know how they get away with this in our politically correct world, but the DMV employees are all sloths. And um, they act exactly like that sloth. So... A sloth is a funny animal, but sloth is not a funny sin. Um, In fact, in the 5th century or so, um, a a church leader put together a list of the seven deadly sins. Some of you may have heard that. There's no list in the Bible, but this was just sins that he said were sins of self-absorption. And... The first on that list is sloth. It was considered to be a deadly sin because it destroyed you. Uh, All sin will destroy you, but these ones destroyed in a way that he was able to classify them together. Now, I think that sloth is the sin, one of the most pervasive sins of our generation. I think it's the pervasive sin of our culture. And you may be wondering about that, but let me take you through and show you the sin of sloth and I want to apply it to us. Um, What I want to do first is read through an entire series of verses 
which are in Proverbs. Most of the teaching on sloth is in Proverbs. And except for a few that are repeats, I'm going to read through them. And to save time, we're just going to have them up here. So I'm going to be reading. You follow along. So let's go to the first one, which is Proverbs 6, 6 through 9. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs 10.26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 12.27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 15.19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21.25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refuses to labor, or his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 22.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered, I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 26.16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Uh, The next verse is wrong up here. It's actually supposed to be Proverbs 28.19, so let me just read that for you. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. And Ecclesiastes 10.18, through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Now, just so you know, there are verses in the New Testament about it also. This one's kind of long, but it's 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 14. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who was walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we, have to, what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. And then finally, 1 Timothy 5.13. Besides that, 
talking about people who are idle. They learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. That kind of gives you most of what the Bible says about the sin of sloth. I'd like to just uh, sort of pull those all together. So uh, sloth, I think this will go up there. Sloth leads to poverty. We saw that. Um, It comes upon you like an armed man. You can look up those verses if you want to. Poverty leads to shame. Uh, uh, Not poverty. Sloth leads to shame. Um, A person who is slothful brings shame upon themselves and upon their family. Um, Poverty, uh, sloth leads to irritation. Uh, That was where it said that like vinegar to the teeth, uh, so is a sloth to the person who sent him. If you've ever had to work with somebody who's lazy, or if you've been in the position of employing somebody who's lazy, it's, it's always an irritation. If you've hired a contractor and he comes out and he's not a good contractor and he doesn't do a good job, it's an irritation. It's like having vinegar t- on your teeth. You're expecting a cool glass of water or a cup of lemonade and you get vinegar instead. It leads to slavery, where you are enslaved by the choices that you have made. Um, It leads to unfulfilled desires. There are several verses that talk about how a slothful person craves and craves and doesn't get what they want. It's not that they don't have desires, but they're unwilling to do what it takes to fulfill those desires. It leads to hunger, and it leads to gossip. So let me give you some biblical observations about sloth. Uh, Actually, these are my observations, but I believe they come from the Bible. The first one there says poverty comes like a robber. This is true if you are slothful. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. Or in other words, you will get mugged by poverty. It says that poverty will come upon you like an armed man. When an armed man comes upon you, you're walking along and all of a sudden, boom, you're robbed and everything's taken away. Um, This is a little politically incorrect, but in our society, oftentimes the poor are seen as virtuous and the rich are seen as oppressors, and there's certainly truth to that. But we have to be careful. Not everybody who is poor is lazy. But according to the scripture, if you're lazy, it results in poverty. So when we see somebody who is lazy, we should expect that God will lead them to poverty, and it may come suddenly. Oftentimes, people live off of somebody else's capital. They, they, they're living off of somebody else's wealth, and it finally catches up with them, and poverty comes quickly as a result of a cascade of decisions that they've made. Um, sloth is a public sin. Um, the verses I have up there are the ones that say that poverty or the, the slothful man's house, the roof is caving in. And there's nettles in the yard, weeds, and the wall is broken down. You walk by their house and you go, that person's lazy. That person's slothful. Um, It brings shame to the family. That's public. If you hire somebody and they don't do a good job, that's a public act on their part, and it will be made known to other people. And by the way, that's not gossip. If you say, should I hire that person, and you tell them, no, that person's lazy, that is not gossip, that's the truth, and it should be said if they're lazy. Um, And then it talks about uh, in there that a son brings shame upon his father if he's lazy. Um, Number three, a slothful man may start something, but he won't finish it. As you catch the verses, a, a slothful man roasts 
uh, will not roast his game. Here's a guy who actually went out and hunted an animal, maybe skinned it, but he can't finish the job. He, he can't bring himself to roast it. The other verse is, he puts his hand in the dish, but he can't bring it back to his mouth. Uh, You can be slothful and start a lot of things, but if you're never able to finish it, that's sloth. The next one, I know this well as a teacher. A slothful man always has an excuse. There are students who turn in every assignment on time without any trouble, and then there's others who, sadly, something always goes wrong. Somebody got sick. The dog ate their homework, which doesn't happen anymore. The hard drive crashed. Their printer was out of ink. Um, they forgot about the assignment. There's always an excuse. Uh, a slothful man always has an excuse. And here it says there's a lion in the streets. Um, by the way, if there was a lion in the streets, that's a good excuse. Do you think there really was a lion in the streets? No. Probably a big dog looked like a lion. A slothful man is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26.16 says, A slothful man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give an answer. The idea is we have seven wise men in the sloth. The sloth is looking in his life and not understanding why things are happening to him, but he knows it has nothing to do with him, but it does. Now, the last three um, are... uh, somewhat profound. Slothfulness results in an inability to be productive. If you have your Bibles, um, go back to Proverbs fifteen, nineteen. Um, it says, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Um, if you are slothful, if you're lazy, What will happen is your life will look like everybody else's life at the beginning. It's a level highway. But along your highway starts to grow a hedge of thorns. And the further you go, the higher that hedge gets. And finally, you are trapped on the path that you're going. You can't get through the hedge. And you only have two choices. One is to keep going the direction you're going. The other is to turn around and come backwards. All that time you're backtracking is unproductive. And there's no productivity going forward. Um, again, I draw on my own experiences. You can draw on yours. But as a teacher, I often will have students come to me their senior year, and I'll tell them, you ought to take, by the way, I teach hard classes, but you ought to take calculus. You're really good at math. You're heading toward, you, you don't know what your future holds. Take calculus. And you know what I often hear? I want to have fun my senior year. Okay. Nobody has to take calculus. Don't misunderstand me. But if you don't take calculus, you're cutting off options when you get to college, right? You're starting to build that hedge of thorns. All of a sudden, there's not the same options that you would have. Um, By the way, not everybody should take calculus, but there's some people who should, and they choose not to. Um, This is especially true for young people. If you are young and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, without realizing it, you're building a hedge of thorns. You see people who get down the road a few years, they didn't go to school, they're in a dead-end job, and there's no options. Because when they should have been productive, they weren't productive. So laziness feeds on itself. The other one is Proverbs 20, verse 4. 
And Proverbs 24 says, the sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Okay? So we've got a field and we have a lazy man. And instead of plowing, he's doing something else. Well, if you don't plow the ground, that cuts off all the rest of the work for the rest of the year. Right? Because if you don't plow it, if you throw the seed down, it's not going to take. It's not going to grow. And because you can't plant it, you can't um, do all the other stuff that has to be done to bring in a crop. And at at harvest, you may actually want to go out and work. There's no work left for you. You become unproductive. Um, Slothfulness results in unfulfilled desires. The real sin of sloth ends up uh, affecting the desires. You become a person whose desires are constantly being unmet. And then finally, a slothful person may be busy, but busy doing the wrong things. Oftentimes we think of someone who's just laying in their bed, but there are some people who are simply slothful because they choose not to do what they should be doing when they should be doing it. Um, That's the one that says uh, a a slothful man uh, is filled with worthless pursuits. That was the verse that we read out of here. All right? So those are biblical observations about sloth. Now, at this point, some of you are going, okay, this is great. But you do understand, we're talking to me, that we're in a church with a whole bunch of farmers, right? Not all of you. Um, And by the way, those of you who have children, especially if you live in the city um, where you don't have a farm for them to work, it's really important that your kids not be lazy. And it's hard for them not to be lazy. It takes effort on your part, to make them productive because it's not like the old days where they go out and milk the cows or feed the chickens or do whatever, but they should be being trained to work because if not, that is a hedge of thorns that builds up around them. So there are some of you who are convicted right now. Yeah, I've been pretty lazy. But others of you are going, Scott, we're heading into a season where I'm going to work 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 hours a day for the next three or four months. I am anything but lazy. Farmer and lazy doesn't go together in the same sentence. So why are you preaching about slothfulness? Well, let me show you a definition of slothfulness. By the way, this is my definition, so it could be wrong, but um, slothfulness is unwillingness to do what God commands us to do to be fruitful. If you go back to all of what we've just looked at, what you have is a man or a woman who says, here is what God commands me to do. God commands me to work with my hands. Six days shall you labor. We are told to work. And then God blesses our work. God has given us an incredibly productive world. Am I right, farmers? I have an orange tree, two of them, out in my front yard that we planted when we moved in. Not from seed, of course. I went to the nursery, but got the little tree. I think that tree, those two trees together, put out at least 1,000 oranges, maybe more, every year. And so we've had 20,000 oranges off of that tree from a little investment. You plant seeds and it grows. Now, we have to be careful because we could say, oh, then it's the fruit of my hands that have done this. No. The reason, farmers, that you're successful is because God makes the earth productive. He says, this is what I want you to do, and you do that, and I will bless you. 
The blessing comes because God produces the increase. But we are asked to do something to cause that increase to come. And that work is work that God expects us to do. And a person who says, I would rather do something else, is telling God, no, I will not do the things that I need to do to be fruitful. Right? So let me ask you a question, because here's where I want to take a little turn. There's more to life than providing for our families physically. There's a whole area of our life which is spiritual. Um, Our relationship with God and what we do for him. Can I ask a hard question? Are we spiritually lazy? Have we been lazy in regard to our relationship with Christ? Have we been lazy in doing what God asks us to do to be fruitful? Slothfulness is unwillingness to do what God commands us to do to be fruitful. Um, Let me go back, if we could, to those observations. i go back to number one there. Um, Let's just do a little diagnostic. Um, Are you spiritually impoverished? Now, I know you have all the riches of Christ Jesus in heaven. You have every spiritual blessing. But is there any enthusiasm for reading God's word? When you pick up this book, is it just boring? Have we gone so long without study that we don't even know how to do that anymore? Uh, Spurgeon said that there's enough dust on most Christians' Bibles that you can write damnation on the cover. Right? Uh, is, that, is that true? When you come to church, is it an exercise of just making sure you're here, or are you fed by the Word of God when you're here? What about your prayers? Do they bounce off the ceiling? Do, do you pray? Do you read His Word? Because if not, I would say that spiritual laziness is a problem for you. So that's the first one. Um, sloth is a public sin. Eventually, people will begin to notice that there isn't much there. You're not growing. You're not becoming more like Christ. Maybe you've even stopped coming to church. Is it a public sin? Um, A slothful man may start something but won't finish it. Um, You may have found yourself saying, yes, this week I'll be Uh, I'm going to read my Bible or whatever, and we find that we can't do it. A slothful man always has an excuse. It's always interesting. Um, I used to be a life group leader when I was at Emmanuel, and you would talk with the boys, and you'd say, we'd start the life group, just tell me something you read from the Bible, and there's crickets. So did any of you read your Bible this week? No. Why not? oh, we've been really, really busy. You know, this, the, we had the play this week, or, or um, we, you know, the, you know, we're in the playoffs and we're practicing a lot, okay? But when I see them at lunchtime, you know what they're doing? They're on their phone, right? Um, I teach at the high school and at the college. Our society is one which is always doing something else, right? I walk into a classroom And every student, if there's five-minute break, immediately has their phone out and they're playing a game. 
or they're Instagramming or they're texting. Um, The person who says, I just don't have time to read my Bible, is also the person who can quote you all of the box scores from the last few months in sports, or he tells you about the TV program that he watches. Do you understand? We have excuses, but we're good at making excuses. That's why we can't do what we're supposed to do. Slothful man is wise in his own eyes. I think of um, the church in Laodicea in Revelation. Um, Revelation chapter 2, I think, maybe chapter 3, verse, well, I'll find it in a second. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 17. This is the church at Laodicea. It says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. That's wise in my own eyes. I I don't need anything. I'm pretty good. I'm wealthy. And what does God say? This is the voice of wisdom. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to the ointments to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Um, Are we wise in our own eyes and thinking that we're doing pretty good when the Bible's going to say that we aren't? Slothfulness results in unfulfilled desires. I want to talk about this one more in a few minutes. But some of you know something's wrong, don't you? Life is empty. We say that we're Christians, we come to church, but there's a hollowness inside. What's the purpose of all of this? I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, but what's the, what's the thing that grabs you and gives you purpose? Are you hungry, but you're filling it with gruel, the internet and your movies and your TVs and the sports and everything that we pour into our life to try and give us some meaning? Um, do you have unfulfilled desires in your life? And finally, are we busy but doing the wrong things? Again, go back to all that we have to do. I don't think there's ever been a society that is as entertained as ours. We are constantly entertained. And the idea of stopping and thinking about where we are, a lot of times doesn't even cross our mind. There's an interesting verse in Ecclesiastes where he talks, I think, tongue-in-cheek, that the best thing is to be so busy you don't have to think about the future. Well, no. We're to be thinking about the future. We're to be thinking about who we are in Christ. Now, let's go back to our definition. What is it that God has asked us to do? What are the means by which he makes us fruitful? And they're not that difficult, right? It's actually pretty simple. The first one is this book. It's the word of God. Isaiah 55 says that, The rain comes down from heaven and produces crops, so God's word does not return void. You should be studying God's word. In Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Uh, Psalm 119 talks about hiding God's word in my heart that I may not sin against against God or against against thee. Um, In 2 Timothy... 315, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide 
between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And in 1 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are we people of this book? Are you studying it yourself? Because if you're not, you are spiritually lazy. And the result will be poverty that will come upon you and excuses and unfulfilled desires and all the rest. Um, the other would be prayer. The right, the f- uh, fervor and effect of prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We are told to be praying for other people. Um, uh, what is your prayer life like? Um, the, the same thing with the word of God. The preaching of the word is important. Faith comes by hearing. We're supposed to be hearing the word of God. Pastor Scott brings us a message each week. Uh, when I was in college... Um, I used to stay up every Saturday night and watch a stupid program called Saturday Night Live, which started at 11.30 a.m. and went to 1 a.m. And then I'd get to bed at 1.30. And you know what happened the next morning in church when I'm supposed to be listening to God's word? Falling asleep, right? I was a confirmed church sleeper until I married April And she sat there and she said, why are you falling asleep in church? I wasn't watching Saturday Night Live anymore, but I just was in the habit. There was a hedge of thorns, right? It was keeping me doing the same thing. And and so I don't do that anymore, but I also don't stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. The point is we're busy doing other things. We're feeding our soul from other things, and we're ignoring the things that are really important. And now comes the tricky part. Because you see, if you have been spiritually lazy, then your life is hard. The ground is hard. It's like hard pan. I discovered hard pan when we moved to Reedley. Went out in this big backyard, thought I was going to have a beautiful garden, put that shovel in, and it went out about that far, right? What do you have to do? I can't plant a garden. I spent the whole first season making the ground right. Um, this is the hedge of thorns we're talking about. You're, you need to turn around. You're heading a direction. You need to turn around and come back until the hedge isn't there so that you can get out of it. Some of you are going to have to put in a lot of time before you become spiritually productive if you've been lazy. And so now we're to where I warned at the beginning. You're going to say, okay, all right, Scott's right. Half an hour, every day from here on on, I'm going to read my Bible, and I am going to pray, and I am going to listen in church, and you know what's going to happen? Discouragement or pride. So what do we do if we've been spiritually lazy? Um, I'd like you to go, and this actually should have been the text for today. That's all the introduction, but don't worry, we won't go late. John chapter 6. I think this is kind of funny because Pastor Scott's going to preach on this in, well, a month or two, Um, John chapter 6. We're in John chapter 5 just about there. John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. But John does a whole lot more discussion than any of the other gospel writers. Some of them tell tell the story and that's it. But John talks about the discussion. And uh, just to give you the context very briefly... He feeds the 5,000, then he gets on, walks across the water. There's no, uh, there's no boat, or he goes across the water. Actually, I shouldn't say, um, um, yeah, he walks across the water, his disciples are going. And he gets the other side. Well, they come around the lake to find him. 
And they come to him and they ask him. In fact, let's pick it up there, um, starting in verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus immediately identifies a problem with them. They're interested in spiritual food. They're not interested in the food that endures to eternal life. At which point then they say to him in verse 28, and they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, We, you and I, if Christ is moving, if the Holy Spirit is moving, you want to do the works of God. This is the question you should be asking. If I've been lazy, how do I do the works of God? Jesus is going to answer it. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. You say, well, how does that help? I believe in Jesus. Remember the context. What did Jesus promise them? In fact, keep going because he talks about it. He says in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's my question. I know you believe in Jesus. If you're in here and you're a believer, a Christian, I know you believe you're going to go to heaven. I know that you believe that his righteousness has been placed on you and your sin on him. Do you actually believe what he just said here? That every one of your desires will be met in Jesus Christ. That if you believe if, that, that he has promised you that every desire that you have will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, I don't know if we believe that. I don't know if I believe that. Because if I believed it, I wouldn't spend so much time filling myself with other things. Worthless gruel that accomplishes nothing. I have, and I will tell you, I have been spiritually lazy, which is why I'm preaching to myself. There are times where I will sit there and I will read uh, political blogs where I'm reading the same article three or four or five times. Why? Because I don't know why. But, but there's something that it makes me feel like I'm informed. Okay? There's, there's, there's desire there. Or, or maybe you're bored. And so you just have to do something to get rid of the boredom. And so you're playing your video games. Or you you're throw yourself into some other activity. And by the way, don't misunderstand. A, a video game is not a bad thing. It's fun to watch a movie. That we, God made us to enjoy life, but we have filled our life with so many other things. And I think the reason is we do not really believe that Jesus means what he says, that he will fulfill our every desire. Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. He says in John 10, I came that you might have life and what? Have it 
more abundantly. Uh, the Christian life should be completely fulfilled simply in Christ himself. What I'm saying is the only solution to laziness, spiritual laziness, is to fall in love with Jesus and believe that he will do exactly what he said he would do. You start reading the Bible simply to break out of laziness, you're going to find that this book will remain boring and unproductive for you because of the amount of time you've been lazy. But if you say, Jesus, I believe that you will meet my every desire, and you ask for that faith, that's the only way we're going to break out of the laziness that has gripped us. And, you know, it'd be interesting to go around and just evaluate our own selves. I I doubt if there's very many people here who aren't looking and going, yeah, I have been spiritually lazy. But the solution is not in ourselves. The solution is to look to Jesus Christ and the grace that he has offered us that he actually will meet every single one of your needs, that your life will be abundant. You could actually, I know this would be hard to believe, you could lose your phone. We could have all the power turned off and your heart would be totally satisfied in Jesus Christ. We have filled it with substitutes is what we've done. Um, So, have we been spiritually lazy? I know that I have. What's the answer? I I hate to say it, but you do have to start reading your Bible. (laughs) And you need to start praying. And you need to start preparing to come to church. We have to do the things that God has commanded us to do to be fruitful, but we will not do that unless we turn our attention and place it on Jesus Christ and believe that he will meet every single one of our desires because he has promised to do that. And when that is our, who we are, then that will make a difference. By the way, let me give some suggestions. Um, we've got promises from God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. But we spend a lot of time worrying about our future and our money, and, and maybe it's time to give that over to God. Pastor preached that sermon a couple of weeks ago invest in the kingdom. And if you start investing in the kingdom as part of your love for Christ, your heart will then, your treasure will go somewhere else. Give your money to things other than yourself. Give your time to things other than yourself. Um, Turn your attention outward because that's what Jesus did. That's what it says in Philippians. He Uh, think of others as more important than yourself. Be like Jesus Christ. So the solution is not harder work. And if you're lazy, it's going to be really hard. And if you have gone a long time of spiritual laziness, you are going to struggle to be productive. But unless we change our focus and put it on Jesus Christ and what he has promised and believe that he fulfills every need, we will fail. So that is the solution always to look to Jesus Christ.